Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 82. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we're going to pick up on Romans chapter 3, verse 28, and into chapter uh, 4, etc. So unless you're driving, please turn to Romans 3.28. We started to develop 3.28 in the last session. So if for some reason you haven't listened to the last session, please do. I, I ended on this verse because it is central to a difference in doctrine between Catholics and virtually all Protestants. And that is regarding the question, how are we saved? Many of our Protestant brethren would say that we are saved by faith alone. It is one of the, one of the pillars of Protestantism is what they call sola fide, saved by faith alone. And one of the key verses that they would use as a quote-unquote proof verse for them, we find it in Verse, excuse me, chapter 3 of Romans, verse 28. But as we have already seen, there are many verses, and that we will see many more in the future, that talk about the need for a life that is lived for Christ and includes the things that we do. Certainly, when we saw the Gospel of Matthew, we saw constantly where Jesus himself was saying, you must bear fruit in order to be saved. So, uh, without further ado, if you have your Bibles open, unless you're driving, of course, let's look at Romans 3.28. For we consider that a person is justified, in other words, you can be pronounced righteous, if you will. For we consider the person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And in the last session, we always we already said, it doesn't say faith alone. It says faith apart from works. We agree with the verse. We just disagree with the interpretation that Martin Luther had. Clearly, Martin Luther was taking the verse out of context as is the case many times with our uh, our other Christian brethren that are not Catholic. Because if you look at the same writer, and if, if you look at the same letter, uh, just the chapter before in chapter 2, he talks extensively about you'll be judged according to your works. So um, anyway, I... I don't want to beat this up any further. I do want to make a correction to something that I said last time. I said that uh, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest. That is incorrect. Technically, he was a Catholic, um, um, what, what was he? An Augustinian monk. So he was a, he was a Catholic religious, but he was an Augustinian monk. Um, Augustinians are a, uh, you know, a branch of the church, just like, you know, Jesuits, uh, Franciscans, etc. So if you want to nail me for that uh, inaccuracy, go right ahead. But my point is, he was a Catholic religious. And as you saw from the last session, he was deeply troubled by sin. In fact, he even 
hated God at one point, and this isn't just me making this up. If you read some of Luther's own writings, you will see that he he hated God. He thought that God was a vengeful God. And that is why Luther chose to go to confession um, multiple times each, each week, sometimes multiple times a day, as we talked about last time. So uh, he just, uh, he, you know, he, in his own writings, he said he hated God at some point in time because he thought that God was a, uh, you know, a difficult taskmaster. Okay. And he didn't think that he could be good enough to merit heaven, to which we would say, we agree, no one can be good enough to merit heaven. And so you cannot, to be clear, we Catholics are sometimes accused of believing that you can work your way into heaven. No, that is a heresy. It's called Pelagianism, and it was condemned in the fourth century. You can't work your way into heaven. So again, if we look at that verse, uh, we agree that you, you are justified by faith apart from works in the sense that in your salvation process, and we believe it's a process, not a moment in time, uh, we believe that first you have faith. Then, as you have faith, and not and a faith, not a merely an intellectual assent that Jesus died on the cross, but we've actually gotten in the wheelbarrow with Jesus. We're trusting him, and we're living our life with him and for him, which means that... Uh, he is first and foremost in our thoughts and in our actions, right? So we agree with the verse. Um, another thing that Luther said, and I know he was given to hyperbole, but I want to make sure I get this quote correctly. He said at one point in time, he said, I could commit murder and adultery a hundred times a day and, uh, you know, my, uh, my relationship with God would not be compromised, okay? That's, that's quite a statement. First of all, I just as a human being, I'm going to say, hey, if you can commit adultery a hundred times a day, then um, I wonder what your diet is like that, that allows you to, uh, to do that. Um, but anyway... Um, yeah, he said, yeah, that's it. Uh, here's the actual quote. I could commit adultery a hundred times a day and my salvation would not be jeopardized. So in other words, in his view, you are saved at a moment in time when you have faith in Christ. And then in his view, um, you know, you, you, uh, your sins are covered up he used the analogy of you are dung and your sins are a pile of dung. And these are his terms, not mine. Okay, so if you're uncomfortable with that, blame Luther, don't blame me. And uh, he said, when you accept Christ, you know, when you, um, when you have that faith, then God covers up your dung sins with snow and he sees them no more. He declares you righteous. Okay. In the Catholic view, we say, hmm, okay, yeah, but underneath that pile of snow, there's still dung, if you will. And so in the Catholic view, yes, 
um, but we we are infused with grace so that that dung, what we bring to the table, which is in and of itself, you know, our works, etc., are nothing, can end up being pretty good fertilizer, and you can grow a pretty good crop out of that. Uh, Luther would say that we are totally depraved. We would say, no, we're not depraved, we're deprived. Luther would say that we as human beings are totally blind until we have faith. We would say, no, maybe we're myopic. You know, maybe we're a little farsighted or a little nearsighted or, or whatever. So we believe in free will, that there's a little bad in the best of us, that there's a little good in the worst of us, and that God, through his graces, if we accept him, Again, we agree with Romans 3.28. We just don't agree with Luther's interpretation of 3.28. If we have that faith, um, then he will give us the graces to do the, the works, if you will, and I'm talking about the good deeds, if you will, um, that cooperate with God's grace, and thus we go to heaven that way. So to be clear and to say it again, we believe that faith is necessary uh, and that that is a, certainly the process. You have faith and then you demonstrate that faith by good works. To be extra clear, how are we saved? We are saved by God's grace. So that's an unmerited gift. We are saved by God's grace through faith as demonstrated by our works. And as we said last time, the only place in all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, etc., where the words faith and faith and alone are together is in the book of James 2.24, I believe it is, where uh, James says, you are saved by works and not by faith alone. So that's the only time faith and alone are together. And James wrote this after Romans. And so, um, you know, he's kind of clarifying what may have uh, been a problem uh, for, the, uh, for the communities that Paul served. Okay, so um, let's, let's move on. We, we will we will look at other verses as we go on, as we have seen in the past, that clearly suggest that our works have something to do with our salvation. Although we admit that God even gives us the grace, the strength, etc., the power to do those good works. So in a sense, in a very real sense, uh, Christ does it all, right? But uh, we still have to be willing to accept that free gift of grace and use it. And um, you can choose, because you have free will, to step away from that. In Luther's theology, once you are saved, you're always saved. You know, that's kind of a corollary to his interpretation of Romans 3.28. So once you have faith, you're saved, and then you can't lose it. Okay, well... We've seen verses before, such as in Matthew, which says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. And as we get into other letters of Paul, Paul recognizes the need to persevere to the end in our, in our faith. Um, why, is this, why is the idea of once saved, always saved very popular? Well, hey, 
in my own life, you know, I, I, I first was introduced to Protestant theology while I was a college student. And uh, I kind of like that once saved, always saved idea, because if you follow that to its logical conclusion, then whatever you do uh, from that point of having faith in, in Christ and in God has nothing to do with your salvation. So guess what? That suggests that you can do whatever you want, okay? And uh, that's very appealing to someone who is in, in college and wants to do whatever they want anyway, even some pretty bad things. So to be clear, uh, yeah, yes, you need faith. You got to have faith. That's what starts the train going down the tracks, right? But then we demonstrate that faith by avoiding bad things and by doing good things, okay? So another way of saying this is, you know, when, when a uh, Protestant friend points out Romans 3.28 says, say, you know, works of the law doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, one way to approach that is to say, well, isn't it fortunate for us as Catholics that Romans 2 comes before chapter Romans 3? And isn't it also fortunate that chapter 4 and 5 come after 3, where Paul makes his case even more clear that works are involved in the salvation process. So I think I've beaten that up enough for one session, um, but we will see other examples of the need for works as we move on through Paul's letters, and we've certainly seen them in the Gospels. Okay, now... We, Paul continues this potentially confusing journey in chapter 4, and he's, he's wanting to show that, you know, faith comes first. And he quotes uh, in chapter 4, verse 3, I want you to underline this, chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham, Old Testament guy in Genesis, which we'll read about more thoroughly when we study the, uh, the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what, the, what scripture is saying here, what Paul is saying here is, hey, Abraham was on a good path with, with God when he believed God. And that was credited to him with, with, uh, as righteousness. Okay, uh, that is in, and after you've underlined that, and it's important that you write this in your margins, write Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And so we see that it's credited to him as righteousness. Okay, but where did Abraham start walking with God? Well, back in Genesis chapter 12, much earlier than, than that, where God says to Abraham, hey, follow me and I will show you a land and you're going to populate it with your people and all that. And so if you add up where Abraham started to where he finished, Abraham walked about 700 miles from where he started because he believed God, okay? But he did more than believe God in in an intellectual ascent, he did something, right? He walked 700 miles. Now, if you and I meet and we're friends, I might like you, I might believe you're my friend, but on day one, if you tell me to walk 700 miles and you're gonna show me a piece of land, I'm probably not gonna do it, 
okay? So Abraham, yes, he was a man of belief, but he was also a man of action. Actually, uh, I think one reason why Paul writes this is that um, it was credited to him as righteousness, believing God in Genesis chapter 15, but uh, Abraham was not circumcised until Genesis chapter 17. You might want to roll this around. You might even want to listen to this again. So Paul's point is, hey, faith kind of got Abraham in good light with, with God long before he was circumcised. And as you recall, he talked about circum, Paul talks about circumcision in Romans chapter 2 and even later on in 3. Okay. Also, um, if you like in the book of James, we also see James quotes that as well, that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteous. And that's in James 2.21 through 2.23. But James, when he quotes the same verse from Genesis, says, yeah, you know, see how Abraham actually acted on that belief. So anyway, um, let's move on. And you see that um, it, he goes, Paul goes back to talking about circumcision and that, uh, you know, faith is more important than circumcision. And we certainly would agree with that, right? But we don't say that, and, and of course, circumcision is one of those works of the law. In other words, Jewish laws, Jewish ceremonial laws. And uh, Paul didn't seem to put much stock in the value of Jewish ceremonial laws. Uh, and so, again, we've got this somewhat confusing issue of sometimes when Paul talks about works, he's talking about doing good deeds, you know, helping others. And sometimes when he's talking about works, he's talking about uh, Jewish ceremonial works like circumcision. Well, all this is maybe a little confusing, so you might want to listen to these last two sessions a couple of times to uh, see if you've got it right. But bottom line is, we as Catholics, and we've got plenty of scripture to back us up on this, not to mention this was what the church, the church that the apostles taught, the church that Christ founded, the church that was around for 1,500 years before Martin Luther drew a breath on this earth. The church taught, has taught for 1,500 years before that, that we are saved by grace through faith, as evidenced by our works and our perseverance in both of those. Okay, and I think that should be pretty clear. But if you have any questions or concerns about that, uh, maybe listen to this again. Okay, and um, uh, for further confirmation of that, go on in continuing on in chapter 4. And it says, uh, verse 13, it was not through the law and that the promise was made to Abraham and his descendants that he would inherit the world, but through the what? I underline these next few words, the righteousness that comes from faith. And that makes the Catholic point right there for us. The righteousness that comes from faith. So again, if you have faith, it's not an intellectual ascent. 
It's a changed life. It's getting into the wheelbarrow, if you will, if you remember that story from another session. It's not just saying, God, I know you can do it. It's like, God, I know you can do it, and I want to cooperate with uh, your desires by, by living for you and uh, changing my life for you. Well, we'll discuss this next time on, on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us to even approach you. We, we thank you that you give us the privilege, you give us this gift of grace, and you give us the gift of the grace that will give us faith in you, and you give us the grace to do your will, to, uh, you know, to live for you, to bear fruit for you. So we pray for opportunities to do that, and we are so thankful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.